good. Hey, grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 8 if you got it. Don't worry, it'll be up on the screen. Hey, when we bring those lights up, Keaton, that'd be, that'd be good. I want to see people. There's your shining faces. Uh, hey, my name is Brandon. If we haven't met, I'm the college director here. Um, and I've been blessed this semester with a lot of really good teaching from here. And so you've got to hear from staff members and church planters. And, and that's just a really cool thing that we get to be a part of here at Redeemer. And so I hope we don't take that for granted. But I'm like a racehorse that has been waiting in the gate. So it may get a little crazy tonight probably going to yell, you may be in the spit zone. Um, so to, if you're joining us for the first time, we have been in this I Am series. We've been talking, booking, um, working through the book of John in the I Am statements. Jesus has come and said, I am, and we've walked through several of these statements. And, and tonight we're going to kind of end that with this idea uh, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so um, I don't know if you can relate. I am a morning person. Anybody there? I like that. I like that. That's right. Um, so I've got kids, um, and, and my kids get up kind of early. And so the only time for me uh, is like between 515 and 545, my alarm goes off. Now, at that time in Lubbock, Texas, it is dark, right? Like there is, there is just dark. And so my 70-pound uh, uh, Alaskan Husky has either jumped on me and said, hey, we're going for a walk, or I've been able to get up. And I don't like to turn on any lights. My wife and I are very different like this. I like to get up and be in the dark. Um, I, I, like to, I, I usually read my Bible on my iPad, and so I want to sit in a chair in the dark with my coffee. Now, that comes, my wife, when she wakes up, all all the lights in the house are on and it's a source of conflict that we're working through. Don't worry about it. We'll be okay. Um, but one of the things that comes with walking and being in the dark though, is that there's inherent things that happen, right? Um, like I probably kicked that 70 pound dog, not on purpose. Those of you who love dogs. I love my dog. Um, but on accident, right? He's just laying there. He's black and white. I can't see him a lot. Um, I spill my coffee, right? Like I set it down. I'm thinking there's a table there and there's not. Um, I see, I run into things and stub my toe and say only holy words. And like things just happen when we walk in the dark. And, and the problem may not be that I don't know my layout of the house or, or it's probably that I really can't see, right? Things have become so blurry that I'm just kind of walking around, kind of trying to figure out, okay, where did we move the couch? Or is that chair still in the same place? Um, and I think sometimes we do this with, uh, with the Christian walk. And so whether you grew up in church or not, uh, you probably have some view of God, right? Like you've got some view. Um, for me growing up, he was Zeus, sitting on top of the mountain, old man. But I think here's what a lot of us can think about our walk with God, is that we are in the dark, kind of searching for God, trying to go, where are you? And hopefully at some point, we can find the light switch and see God and go, oh, now I'm accepted, now I'm good, now I've done it, okay, now I see you. And I think the problem is, is that the reality of the gospel is really different from that, isn't it? Like the reality of the gospel is that Jesus in this verse is saying, I am the light. I'm not a light. I'm not one of many, but, but I am the light. I am illuminating the darkness around you. I'm not some switch to be found, but rather I'm going to bring clarity and I'm going to bring understanding. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at these two questions right here. Here's where we want to go. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? 
Like, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's alive? We're about to enter into the season. We're going to sing all these cool songs. And no, we shouldn't be singing Christmas songs right now. Sorry. I'm on that bandwagon. Um, wait your turn, Santa. Um, but, but, why, but what does it mean that he's the light? Why does that even matter? Like, like, why does that even matter that he would say, I am the light of the world? And then I want to end tonight and end this thing with what does that mean for you and for me? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in our everyday life on the campuses and in the coffee shops and in the places of influence on our teams and intramurals and sororities and fraternities? What does that mean for us today? So let's look here, John 8. We're gonna start in verse 12, but I wanna do a work before there, okay? Um, if you would look up a little bit, and I didn't have this in on the screen, but where we find ourselves is that Jesus has has just been brought this woman who has been caught in an adulterous affair. Now we know the full extent of it, but what we do know is this lady has probably been drug out in the middle of an, of an act and brought before Jesus in public. And, and she is probably covered up like shameful and she is before Jesus. And Jesus said this crazy thing. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to this at the end. But he says this crazy thing like, hey, uh, neither do I continue, condemn you, go and sin no more. And so Jesus has found himself here just dealing with some Pharisees, dealing with some of these religious leaders and dealing with this woman caught in this adulterous act. Now that's gonna inform us as we get in here, but we need to set the context. So let's look at verse 12 here. And again, Jesus spoke to them, this crowd that had gathered, right? Saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. And so Jesus is gonna deal with this. He says, I'm the light of the world. And the Pharisees are like, hey, listen, you can't talk like that about yourself. I mean, can you imagine like, like one of your friends being like, I'm the best basketball player in the world. And there's balling out like 12 o'clock at the wreck, right? You're like, no, you're not. You know, this is the equivalent of that, right? Like, like Jesus, they're saying, hey, no, you're not. You don't, you don't know that. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, I know who I am. And I know where I came from. And basically, basically, he has gone through this whole John saying, I am the God that has been sent to this world. I am the one that the Old Testament has talked about. It was pointing to me. And so Jesus is gonna confront them here. So, so what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Now, if we were to go back to the very beginning, back to Genesis chapter one, like if we were gonna go all the way back to Genesis 1, what we're gonna see here, look at this. Look at what Genesis 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be light. And all of the sudden, Here's what happened. What was once void was now filled. And what was once formless now had structure. And what was once dark had now been put on its heels. 
This is what, this is what it means for Jesus to be light. He was there in the beginning, and he was the light that brought all these things to, to, to form. He was all these things that filled the void. He was the, he was the light that put darkness on the heels. And Jesus is going to say something to these Pharisees in John chapter 8 that is, is something they don't like. It's not going to sit well with religious leaders. You see, these people had built their structure. They had built their entire existence, all their power structure on a checked box system. All, everything they did, they, they used it to feel good about themselves. They, they used it to have a way to meet some imaginary mark. And, and it, they used it to kind of solidify their power. And so they would make up all these rules, all these regulations, and say, you do all these things, and then you may be equal with us as the religious leaders. And Jesus comes into the scene, and he challenges this head on. He's saying, man, you're seeking knowledge through the things of this world. I'm going to bring true knowledge. You're seeking moral purity based on your standards. I'm going to bring moral purity based on the standards of God. He says, this is going to show, and the last thing he says is, I'm going to show you what the very presence of God looks like and how he wants to interact with you. Because to this people, God was distant. To this people, God was something to be sought for in the midst of darkness. And if I did enough good stuff, then God would somehow be magically pleased with me. And if my life started to fall off, God was eternally disappointed with me. So I had to keep up the religious facade. I had to make sure that people saw me the way that I was, and Jesus, the way that I think I should be, the way that I had some standard, and Jesus comes along and blows this up. And he says, hey, all that striving that you're doing, all that striving after knowledge, all that chasing after pleasure, that you think is gonna save you from the darkness, it's actually all void and formless and it will never meet the need. It will never meet the need. But, but I mean, think about this. I think we can sometimes like distance ourselves from, from the pharisaical leaders of the day. We're like, man, we weren't, we're not play, praying on street corners. We're not hypocrites. We're not, we're not saying these things. We're not challenging Jesus. But I think if we were to bring light to our situation, like, and we were to really be honest, and we think that it's failed us, that somehow, like we've convinced ourselves, like let's just take relationships, for instance. And maybe we've convinced ourselves that relationships will fill that void. And we trade intimacy for a quick hookup. Or we trade, or we idealize marriage. Like, if I can just get married, then I'm not going to struggle with lust. If I can just get married, then I'm going to, everything's going to be okay. And we maybe idealize that or, or maybe we flirt just to fulfill the need for affirmation. And so we just go from guy or girl to girl to guy. We just kind of go around seeking affirmation. No, we never do that, Right? quiet. It's okay. We can laugh here. It's all right. Or let's take it to where we are now. We can always be searching for the next phase of life will bring fulfillment. The next phase of life will bring, will fill the void. The next phase of life will, 
will free us from the despair and depression of the darkness that surround us. And so, so maybe we think, think if I live for the future, if I'm thinking about where, when I'm gonna start making real money or when I'm gonna have that house and those 2.5 kids and a picket fence and be driving that infinity QX80 or whatever, you take into soccer practice. Or maybe, or maybe we, we live too much in the moment, right? Or maybe we just live, we're, just, we're all here for the party and the feel good and this is what it's all about and I'm just gonna move from momentary thing to momentary thing and that's what life is about. And if we were to be really honest, which maybe we can be because we're in church, it has failed us. Because we think the ultimate end is just to seek more pleasure, to seek more fulfillment, to seek some some obligatory job that's out there in the future. And Jesus is offering the world light and through that light, actual renewal. And he's saying, here's where renewal comes from. Then we think about this, he fills the void. The void that I look for in affirmation That void that I've been searching for isn't found in cheap relationships. It's actually found in the relationship with the creator of the universe. Those temporary moments of pleasure that I think are gonna bring me structure, like one day when I have that job and I'm working and I'm I'm making that money and I'm able to do the things that I wanna do, that that structure is somehow gonna, gonna bring form to my life. Jesus is saying, no, no, no amount of job is ever gonna bring form to your life. No amount of security is ever gonna bring that. No, what's gonna bring that is me. No matter what we do to try to heal and try to numb that pain of the darkness that is coming in for us. Just like, hey, I offer you real healing, not that numb for a moment and fall back in to old habits. And so this is what it means when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, is I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring structure to what's formless. I'm gonna fill what's void. I'm gonna put darkness on its heels. Not my striving, not my cheap search for knowledge based on my however many years I've been on this earth. No, that's, that's not gonna fulfill. Jesus saying, this is what it means. I'm the light of the world. I'm gonna illuminate those things. So if he's the light of the world, that has implications for us, doesn't it? Like we can't just pass that by to go, if, if he's the one offering these things, we can't go, man, that's cool. I'll take some of that and I'll take the rest of my life, right? If you were here on Sunday, I think Dusty put it this way. He said, what's easy in West Texas is that we've got our Jesus card. And so when Jesus starts to press in on us, and start to ask us real hard questions about what we're trying to fill the void with or what we're trying to bring structure to formlessness or what we're, we're, how we're trying to push back what's dark in the world. When he starts to press in on that, what usually happens to us is that we got that Jesus card. We go, no, 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 I grew up in church. No, 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 no. I, I, I read my Bible for like seven minutes every week. No, 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 I went to Sunday school. I've come to college gathering and we we hold this just to keep him at arm's length. But if he's the light of the world, like this does something for us. Like it's gonna compel us unto something. And so the second point is, what does this mean for us that he's the light of the world? 
What, what does it mean for us today that he's the light? If he's the life, it means this. And why that matters is that he's calling us into something. What does that mean? Let's, let's talk reality. I think there's probably three groups of people in this room tonight. I think there are those of you that are in here that you are searching. You're skeptical of this whole Jesus thing. There's some dude up on the stage yelling at me. You know, we're playing Christmas music outside. And, and, and you are just kind of un- unaware of the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you've seen it on a TV show or, or maybe you've had a real bad experience with it. But you're just unaware of the gospel that Jesus is offering. And, and it may be that you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church and you've got, listen, that has nothing to do with this. Like, here's my, here's my plea with you. Like, welcome. Like, I always want this place, this church, this ministry, this home to be a place where you can bring those questions. And if we ever enter into that religious thing where we can't deal with what's hard, or if we do deal with hard, what's hard, we start talking about it with other people. Like if we can, if we just, if we can, if we can't do that here, I don't know what we're doing here. So if you've got questions and you're skeptical about this Jesus thing, man, welcome. Love to talk about the gospel and what it means. I think the second group of people in here are those of you that are just kind of good church kids, right? Like this is what you did when you grew up. You just kind of went. You grew up in Texas, you grew up in West Texas, and your, your religion, your Christianity may be tied more to hobby and tradition than it is actual life change in Jesus, right? This is like my story. I hated church, hated every minute of it. Didn't, didn't like it. Mom drugged me there. Dad could go play golf. I was like, why can't I play golf with dad, man? That seems a lot more fun than me learning about Moses on some flannel board. But you're here today and you're like, man, I've heard about the light, but I'm, I don't know if I'm convinced of that thing because I've seen it really mess up a lot of people. And welcome, right? Like welcome into this place. Like we need that too. We need, we need convincing, not of more religion, not of more doing, not of more striving. We need convincing of more Jesus, right? Like this is what we need. And I think there may be the third group of those of you who, who are here and man, you've believed. I mean, you know Jesus has changed your heart. Man, there's joy there and there's striving and, and it may be broken at times, but you know he's changed your heart and you're like, I just want more of that. I think the things that we're gonna talk about are gonna apply to you, all three of those groups today. Maybe different ways of working those things out, but I don't think anybody tonight can just zone out on what it means for us. Because if we're to head into Thanksgiving break and then ultimately into Christmas break and then we're to come back in January, like this is gonna have implications for how we do this well. So here's what God is offering because he is light. Look at the first one. He is offering illumination. He's offering illumination. Look at John, look at John 3, 19. Here's what it says. Like, and this is a judgment that light is coming to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. A great verse, Brandon, that cheers me up. Like here's what we found, that we all ourselves at one point or are currently now living and loving the darkness. 
We love it because here's the thing. We, like the Pharisees, want to define our knowledge on our own terms. We want to control our own morality, or we want to use that, our morality and make comparisons to other people. And we let that define us, right? So it's like, I may not be doing those things, but I'm sure not like where she is. Yeah, I've had some broken relationships, but I ain't running around sleeping with everybody like that guy is. And we, we, we do those, we, we love those things. We want, or, or we want our experiences to be the driving force in our understanding of life. And so rather than an overarching truth, rather than a truth that gives us, we wanna find ourselves in the darkness. And I think so often we think darkness is like this satanic worship thing, right? Where it gets all weird and, you know, there's crystals and things going on. And listen, it's as simple as, here's darkness, I want the creation more than I want the creator. Forget you, God. I just want your stuff, man. And that breaks us of some things. And by, by doing this for extended periods of time, we begin to live in dark mode, right? Like my, my, my iPad or my iPhone will go to dark mode and I will get used to that. And when the, when the daytime mode or whatever the heck they call that thing like lights up, my phone's like, whoa, that was really weird. We, we live in this. And what happens is we begin to develop night vision. And, and we're living, not seeing the ramifications or the darkness that we've, and we've convinced ourselves that if we do a bunch of good works, a bunch of quote unquote good things, that we're walking in the light. So like there were these things that we would go see when I was a kid. I grew up in Lubbock. I love Lubbock. I love it, man. You know, Lubbock's like all these other towns, only better. Um, right, Emily? Emily loves that. Um, I love it. But what we would do is growing up, there were like these certain things that at night you could go and see like Memphis Man, right? You go to this place on Memphis and the way the street light hit, it looked like there was a dude standing up against a fence, right? It would freak everybody. He takes me there for the first time. Like, what's that guy doing? He's just kind of stand in there, right? Like darkness does weird things to our vision. And we think that we can really see what's happening, but the reality is, is that has blurred us so much that we can't see where we really are. We can't see what's really going on around us. And so when we continually walk in the darkness, what happens is we begin to convince ourselves that our way is actually better than God's. That our way of doing things, our way of accomplishing things, our set of standards and morality are actually better than his. So, so we do that with sexuality. We do that with a thirst for knowledge. We do that with pleasure. And we do these things over and over again. We, and what happens is we begin to compartmentalize and we can't compartmentalize our lives. We can't take our lives and just boil them down in these little compartments of school and work and Christianity and whatever it may be in those compartments because we are whole people. Like we are soul and emotion and we are physical and all those things working together, like all those things working together are making you the person that you are supposed to be. Like think about why emotions have physical reactions to them right? 
Like, I have not been shy about my struggles with anxiety here, right? Like, anxiety is an emotion that I experience that has physical, right? Like, physical implications of that. Like, I'd get sick to my stomach. I would be in bed. Like, like it has physical implications because we are whole people, and we can't compartmentalize our lives into these good works versus bad works. We can't compartmentalize ourselves into, into each area of our life and trying to live out those things separately. And the reality is that outside of a relationship with Jesus, you are trying to convince yourself that that's how you were designed to be fulfilled, but you're never going to be fulfilled outside of a relationship with Jesus. You see, it was at the cross that he experienced the darkness so that we could actually walk in light. It was at the cross where Jesus absorbed the darkness. He absorbed the wrath of God towards me. And because of that, he now illuminates everything for me. He takes what I think should be the way, what I think is right, what I think is good, and he begins to actually illuminate those things. And this is the beauty of the gospel, is that he illuminates here. Without that relationship, listen, I'll tell you this. If you're just here to try to find out a a couple good tools for living rightly, or like I did, a couple good, you know, lines to pick up girls with, like, like, listen, this if we try to navigate life without knowing what the ultimate reality is, we're just gonna run and we're gonna keep on running and we're gonna keep on running, not even knowing where we're going. We're gonna seek to bring structure to what's formless. We're gonna seek to fulfill the void. But as the darkness creeps in around us, it will just set its hooks in deeper and deeper and it will draw us down a really dark path. And for some of you, listen, for some of you, that path is not gonna look like your life falling apart. For some of you, it's gonna look like your life actually getting better. That darkness and destruction is actually gonna be somewhere you're gonna be like, oh man, I do find fulfillment in this stuff. Like sin actually is kind of fun, but it will continue to hold you hostage and continue to cause you to have night vision to see things kind of dimly, but, but be completely caught off guard about what they are. And so Jesus offers illumination. Second point, Jesus offers us freedom from hiding. When he brings illumination, we believe the gospel, we, we understand scripture, like scripture begins to, to, to just come, begins to come alive and, and like, like we could not ever see it before, Jesus begins to stir our affections, not for a bunch of good works, but for himself, right? Like what changed me was, was not the fact that I just did a bunch of good stuff. What changed me was that God began to, and Jesus began to look more appealing than the world around me, and he could only do that in me. And so by doing so, what begins to happen is when we see this light shining over our lives, all all of us is laid bare. Every bit of us is laid bare. And when you can't hide, like it just cracks me up when we think we can hide our sin from God, right? Like we're just lying in bed, 
scrolling on the phone, thinking that somehow we're getting away with something, right? But we promise, no, man, we're never gonna do that again. We're gonna, we're gonna keep the door to the bedroom open so that the roommates can hear, see. And we're never gonna be caught in those places again. Like, listen, when we understand that nothing is hidden from God, swagger quickly goes away. That feeling like I'm getting something, getting away with something is actually brought into the light. So not only is he used to save, he offers freedom from hiding. Like if we were to go back to the woman at, caught in adultery in John chapter eight, like just before this, her sin was in the dark. Like she thinks she was getting away with something and she's brought into the light. Like she's brought out of this. And, and listen, she probably sought to run, right? Like we seek to run from the darkness by living according to our own standards. We think that what we're doing, like more hiding, more secrecy is gonna solve the problem. That the momentary relief is actually the way that life was meant to be lived. And we convince ourselves that life has no real joy. Like it has no true freedom. It's only a series of momentary actions and minimum relief that come and go. And we convince ourselves that's what life is supposed to be like. And Jesus is offering us something completely different. I mean, think about the freedom you have when you, when you tell a lie. That's what I tell my kids all the time. I love my son, my oldest son, but he's like me. We just have a problem with, you know, wanting to be seen as something, so we will lie to cover it up. And I'll say, man, you got a choice right here, bro. You can, you can tell me the truth, and we can deal with this, or you can split your energy, right? And so when we tell a lie, like we split our energy, and we're not fully present where we are. We've got to keep up the line, the facade, while trying to keep up real life. And hopefully those two things never meet. Like, this is not the way that God intended life to live. He didn't contend for you to work so hard to keep the facade up. But look, the woman is brought into the light. She is exposed. And the last thing probably that she wanted was to be drugged before Jesus Christ. And look at what he says. If you've got your Bible open, he talks crazy to these, to these Pharisees that want to stone her. She's, she's probably there. Her head is covered. She's hoping, I mean, they have every right according to law to stone her. And she's hoping, man, maybe the first one just knocks me out so I don't feel the pain. And in verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is crazy. This is the very thing that she didn't want was actually the freedom that she was so searching for. It was actually the fulfillment that she wanted. Jesus, in the light, brings her and says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Like because Jesus is the light of the world, we can live in true freedom. We can live in true freedom that we don't have to hide from those things. 
But that God's exposing those things in the dark, and he's exposing what was in the dark into the light so there can be wholeness and healing. Remember, Jesus offering light not to condemn us, but to bring renewal. That's beautiful, man. And the last thing that Jesus offers here, number three, is he brings fulfillment to the void. Like what I would say this is that Jesus brings salvation. Like he brings salvation and he sets us on mission. Like he doesn't just save us to terminate on us. Matthew chapter five, verses 14 says, hey, you're the light of the world. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight said, hey, you who once walked in darkness have seen a great light. The thing about this fulfillment to the void is this is the only I am statement that Jesus invites us to partake in. He says that light is actually in you. He invites you in and says, partake of this with me. Like this is what it means to be a Christian. If you're in here going, I don't know, is being a Christian is coming to church, putting on a facade, pretending like you don't have any problems? No, because that's not what the Bible says. The reality of salvation that Jesus brings to us is is this idea of illuminating what was once dark, bringing us in, out from the darkness, into the light so we don't have to hide anymore. And he saves us and sets us on mission so that you're going into the world. You're going into the classrooms. You're going to the coffee shops and you're not going alone, but you are going with him. And you're not doing this on your own accord, but he is already at work in you. And here's the crazy thing. If he's at work in you, guess what? He's at work in the people around you. It's not up to you because you're not the driving force of this thing. His light is shining through you as a believer. This is the gospel. And what confidence does that give us? And I'm a jacked up, messed up, broken up person. But God in me is using that to illuminate the world around me. And maybe this is gonna hit home because you're about to leave for Thanksgiving break. And what tends to happen, like if we're just to be honest, Like going home can be really hard, right? I mean, you find yourself hanging out with those high school friends again. You find yourself back into old habits. You find yourself here. You find yourself bored, right? You've been running really hard this semester. You've been doing a lot of things. And all of a sudden that just downshifts. And now you're back in your old room and your letter jacket's up on the wall and mom's making good food and... And you're just bored. It can be really hard. But knowing what you're walking into and knowing what purpose and mission you've been walking into, that you're not just there to buy and just to buy time till you get back, but rather you to leverage those things because God has called you salt and light in a dark world to leverage that time. 
to use that time for his glory. Like this week that you'll be at home, whether you're going home or whether you're just, you're staying here or whatever it may be, like this time here, that's gonna prepare how you're gonna spend your big break in the winter. And what are you gonna do because he is light, because he has invited you in, how does that inform how we live? Like if he is the light of the world, then he is calling you into something, not more morality, not more church going, not more quote unquote good stuff. He's given you a new heart. And because he's given you a new heart, he leads you into a deep community where you can be fully known. And because he leads us into that community, we can have true purpose in this life, not the endless cycle of living for momentary relief after momentary relief. I've heard it said this way, the way of Christ, the life that he is inviting you into is the end of boredom. It is the end of boredom. It is the death of it. That as we walk in the light, listen, we are reflecting God's character and his beauty to the world around us. That though we, we see, like, listen, we're gonna see partly, we may see dimly, but what begins to happen when God illuminates is we begin to see beauty. We begin to see the beauty that God has intended. This is what it means to be a believer here, that he gives us new eyes and a new heart, that we see things, beauty becomes more and more clear. And one day, when he redeems all of this around us, like we're gonna stand before him and we're gonna see all the beauty and all the joy that he was offering us. Light brings joy. This is what God's calling you to do. Not a life of misery, not a life caught in the darkness, but joy in the way that he has designed you from the beginning, that he came and he brings, he brings structure to what was formless. He fills the void and he puts darkness on its heels, not on this broad scale, but in your life. You, as an individual, sitting at Redeemer Church on a Tuesday night in November. You. And we live knowing that all my striving, all my pleasure seeking, all my searching for knowledge is not found in the broken, incomplete things of this world, but is found in Jesus. And listen, there is no joy unparalleled to that. And may that mark you as a person. This is what the gospel is. This is what it means that Jesus is the light of the world, that he has come. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm gonna bring the lights down a little bit. I want you to think about where you're at tonight. I want you to think about where you find yourself. Like just you alone. Not the people sitting beside you. 
Where is God pressing on you tonight? Where are you trying to fill the void that only he can? Where are you trying to bring your own structure? How are you trying to numb the darkness when it's creeping in around you? In the posture of your heart, I want you to lay those things before the Lord. God, I'm using relationships to fill the void. God, I'm I'm using a pursuit of fame or success. I'm trying to numb it. I'm trying to numb my own pain by talking about other people. I make comparisons to my good life versus their bad life. Here's what Jesus is saying. And there's no one to condemn you. And neither do I condemn you because of the cross. That there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And in a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing how we stand amazed in his presence. And listen, if you, if you mean that tonight, sing it. And if you don't know what that means, there will be people in the back that would love to pray with you. There will be no greater joy than to pray with you tonight as you walk through things. You are not in this alone. Father, will you tonight, by your grace, will you move and will you stir our affections for your name? that God of an outpouring of what you are doing in our, ha- in our hearts, that there will be a compelling unto something greater. God, convict us where we need convicting. This has been a hard sermon for me to write because I know exactly where you're asking me to go, walk away from and into. God, I know exactly what I've been trying to fill the void with. And God, sometimes I just don't want to do it, man. So God, will you... But my brothers and sisters, will you, will you allow us to see your goodness tonight and your grace? Help us to sing because of what you've done, not just to go through the motions, but to really consider what you have done in us. God, help us not to leave here. This is another Tuesday night. But God, we use it as a springboard into what you're doing in our lives. By your grace, By your mercy, do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, I love you more than you will ever know. But as much as I care and love this place, Jesus, you are the bride. He loves you. He loves you where you're at. So let's sing to him for that. Let's stand and let's sing.